Um, if you want to grab a Bible that's on a chair near you, then we'll be reading from page 1057. And if you have your own Bible or a phone, then I'll just give you a moment to find Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9 and reading through to 17. Um, and this is the book of Luke. So Luke wrote this originally as a letter, a long letter, to the early Christians to encourage them in their faith, to strengthen them in their faith and knowing Jesus. Um, and he's recorded here a story of Jesus uh, talking to a crowd of people, which included um, some of the religious leaders of the day. So I'll pick it up. And the he here is Jesus. So verse 9 he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. the bunnies. <laughs> You're looking smart. Well, uh, what a great uh, celebration that is and just to celebrate the gospel and what a visual uh, declaration of what uh, God does for all those. He washes away their sins and gives them new birth in him. Um, how about we just pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Uh, for your promises to us in the Lord Jesus and thank you that you keep all your promises and Father we just pray now that as we come to reflect on this your words to us that you might take away distraction you'd help us to understand them and Father we pray that we might this morning respond as you want us to in faith and repentance and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I don't think it's uh, new or any insightful, but life is really about performance, isn't it? Uh, right from when you be begin your life, 
uh, you get measured up and how you're performing. Uh, ten years ago, almost ten years ago, when Miri and I had our first child, you know what happens? Comes out, and I'm amazed at that whole thing. I'm so thankful to God that both are alive and well. But what happens? They get chucked straight on the scales. You know, 4.32 kilos. Uh, that's nine pound five in old language. Head circumference 59 centimeters. So that would be massive. centimeters uh the doctor said he's a big one you know the midwives big one what have you done here uh and you know what they do every time they'd come in they'd look at matthias look at me look at miri and go we know who gets that from don't we uh that continued for a long time i was like yeah i haven't heard that one yet but uh you know what do they do things the the blue book Blue book, uh, and you know you're you're comparing, right? He's he's my I ran out of puff. I think the next one zooms in a bit, but you can see 4.3 kilos, 97 percentile. He was a big one. Uh, he was off the chart for length, uh, but I got I ran out of puff as as he was uh, growing. I only got a few months in. Um, but life is about performance. It doesn't just end there at birth, you know, it's like who rolled first, who walked first, what age did they, you know, start speaking and when do they start putting sentences together and how do they write, it just never ends. Uh, and what I think we can learn to cope with life by comparing or by comparing ourselves to each other and so de- depending on what matters for you uh, and it depends on what the thing is that you care about and it also depends on who the person or the thing you uh, look down upon or look, you know, look, look others, doesn't it? You know, so if you are one of those people that drive the hybrid economical car, you know, you drive and you just look down on those four-drive drivers that are guzzling petrol, don't you? <laughs> I know the questions. I get asked them because I drive one. The, uh, the dog, you know, walkers, and you see the dog poo and you're the one that always picks up your poo. You look down on those who don't. Uh, what about on the bus uh, when you stand up for the elderly? And what do you do? You kind of think, why didn't everyone else do that? You look down on the others that didn't do that. Uh, cloth nappies. Oh, man, we know those people, don't we? <laughs> oh, those disposable ones just filling up the land. Uh, even like when your kids get older. Oh, you know, our kids have manners. Yours don't, do they? What are you guys doing? It just never ends. And I think we can learn uh, in life and actually to be accepted and to fit in, it often means kind of performing and comparing in these ways, doesn't it? And uh, it's often whether you kind of perform or not is whether you get accepted or not. But the question I got for us this morning is, what about with God? Is, Is that how God works? Is that kind of approach to life going to help us with God? See, what is it that makes us acceptable to God? Now, we just had a very famous story that Jesus told read out for us. It's simple. It's profound. And it's just about two guys going to the temple to pray. And on the surface, you think maybe Jesus is teaching us, you know, 
about prayer, about how to pray. But I think the heart of what he's trying to teach us is actually how is it that we are, each of us, acceptable to God? And Jesus does it in this simple, profound way by just putting two very different guys next to each other and looks at um, how they approach God. And it is the ending, isn't it, that shocks us. It's not what we'd expect. So I just want to quickly go through the story together. Then I want to think about what was the problem and then how do we respond. That's my three movements. So firstly, let's have a look at the story. Sentence number 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there might be ones on the seats. You can get it on your phone. Uh, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee himself prayed, Thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give, I give tithes of all I get. First character, your Pharisee. Now, this is your upright religious leader. In modern how he would pray, this kind of person. He'd say, dear God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I declare all my income. I've never been unfaithful to my wife. I'm generous to charity. And by both the taxable and the non-taxable charities. I go to Sunday two times. I go in the morning to kids' church and I go in the evening to hear the sermon. I wish I could pray a prayer like that. This guy, the Pharisee, he's he's an amazing guy and it's an amazing prayer And it's the kind of guy I think you'd be happy that was in your family, wouldn't you? Be happy if my kids grew up like that. But then we get this other guy, this other character, the tax collector. Now, tax collectors, they were sellouts to the enemies. Uh, So in context, they're in Jerusalem, uh, and the Roman had uh, overpowered them. And the tax collector took money from their own people, the Jews, and gave it to the Romans. And the way they lived off was by taking more than what the Romans asked for. Now, in today's society, who would that be? Have a think. Who's, who's that kind of person that sells out and robs your own people? I have a picture here. Um, who, who knows who this is? Jesse from Breaking Bad. You know, he's, he's a meth dealer. Uh, and, you know, he, he makes his money by kind of selling meth. And anyway, it's a, it's a big story. I don't recommend it, but... Uh, but you know what? If Jesse was in your family, you'd be embarrassed, wouldn't you, in lots of ways? You'd be embarrassed. That was the tax collector. You know, they're kind of the meth dealers, the sex offenders, the human traffickers. They're the ones that you want to keep on the low, that you, you know them. In verse 13, what's his prayer look like? Have a look there, sentence 13. He stands far off from the temple... He can't even look up to heaven, but he looks down and beat his breast and he says, Dear God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And verse 14, Jesus says, This man, this man, the tax collector, went down down to his house justified rather than the other. Now that word justified, it just means that he's okay before the law and right before the judge. What he's saying is he's, He's in right relationship. He's okay with God. Now, did you just hear that? The tax collector, 
the meth deal, the sex offender. This man, he went home right with God, but the Pharisee didn't. And we should feel the weight and the shock of that, shouldn't we? We think, hang on, Jesus, have you got this right? <laughs> have, have, you know, have you got the, the punchline right? I think you've got it mixed up. No, but how, how is it that Jesus can have such an astonishing verdict, uh, which feels so wrong to us, doesn't it? Well, let's have a think about it. Next movement is what, what went wrong? Uh, what, what mistakes did this Pharisee make? And we see the hint right at the start of the story. You see it in sentence number nine there. He tells us why Jesus told the story. Have a look, verse nine. He also to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You see what he's saying? He's got, he what's going on, he's got there's two men, one who is proud, self-righteous, trusted in themselves and there's another one who's humble and Jesus here he's really sticking it to the proud to the arrogant to the self-righteous to those who judge and look down everyone else's nose at them and you can see that the Pharisee is this type of person by the way he prayed can't we see what did, what's his prayer about have a look at it who is at the center it's I <laughs> Did you notice that? It's I. He's just praying about himself. The thing he said, I thank you that I'm just such a great guy. Five times he refers to himself about how good he is. And it's really not a prayer, just a, a list, really, isn't it? in many ways, about showing, cataloguing how good he is. But see, the heart of this Pharisee is he's got a, an overinflated view of himself, doesn't he? I think some would say today that he thinks he's poo doesn't smell. Now, I think we can all point our finger and think of others who are a bit like that, can't we? You know, the Pharisee, he's not just back then in first century. We, we know a lot of those today, don't we? And apparently, we're not alone in this because apparently we all have a self-inflated view of ourselves. Uh, this is Jonathan Haidt. He's a, he's a pitcher. He's a, a Jewish atheist psychologist. Uh, he wrote a book, The Happiness Hypothesis. Uh, and he says we all have an overinflated view of ourselves, an overinflated view of how good we are. And so you know, he did a whole bunch of surveys. Uh, he did, um, you know, he surveyed a bunch of drivers and asked them to self-reflect how they were. And all of them said they were above average. All of them, you know. Can that, that doesn't make sense, right? Um, half have to be below average, and you're thinking, yeah, that's who I'm married to, uh, or that's the person I'm sitting next to, or the person on the way in. Uh, but we, he's saying we all rate ourselves as above average. It's not just in driving. Uh, he did it with how we think about how generous we are. So if we think about a year of generosity, uh, and the end of the year we kind of guess how much did we give to charity, uh, apparently we all overestimate how much we gave uh, not just generosity, he surveyed a whole bunch of college professors and said, how are you? They all said, above average. Uh, students at college, what's you know, your life? We're all going to be exceptional leaders. Every single one of them thought they were going to be exceptional leaders. The one I liked is uh, he questioned uh, married couples on, on their um, housework at home. And so you know, he said, as a percentage, uh, how much do you do and how much does your spouse do? 
uh, he added the two figures together and it reached 120 percentage. Uh, you know, each of us think that we're doing more than we are and think that the other is doing less. We all have this overinflated view of ourselves. And Jesus, the point of his story here, he wants to warn us against this. He wants us to warn us against this, and especially when we think about our relationship with God. And the irony is, I think, is that religion can often make us assume or think we are better than we are. You know, oh, I've got the rules, I keep them, I, I, do, I do enough, I've got this covered. Uh, but the, the religious person keeps them, it, it kind of can add to their overinflated sense. But I don't think it's just the religious person that has it too. I think it's for people that wouldn't say they're religious, the non-religious too, isn't it? You know, I often hear is, you know, me and God, me and God would be mates. You know who God is, don't you? <laughs> really? You're going you're gonna to hang out together? You know, that's, that's the attitude of the non-religious, just assuming, yeah, I'm going to be okay with God. Uh, you know, I'm sure I'm quietly confident that I'm going to rock up and he's going to be welcome me home and get us through. Now, we might not say that out loud or as bluntly, but, I, you know, the non-religious often have that assumption too. So that's his first mistake. He had an over-inflated view of himself. Secondly, he does, I think, what we're all tempted to do is that uh, he rated himself by measuring with each other rather than measuring in relation to God. I think this is kind of his crux of his argument in his prayer. And essentially, he thinks, you know what? In comparison, I'm doing okay. I can look at this, this guy over here and he's you know, a scumbag tax collector and I'm, I'm doing all right here. You see that in the second half of verse 9. He said, you know, so some who are trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. See, the Pharisee, they looked down on everyone else. Uh, and the danger, I think, for this kind of horizontal comparison, it, it actually can blind us to a vertical comparison. It actually kind of puts blinkers on so that we can't actually see how we are in relation to God. Because thinking horizontally, of course the tax collector, the Pharisee is better than the tax collector. But the reality is to God, it didn't help him, did it? It didn't help him as he went up the temple to find forgiveness. See, all over the world, people are pinning their hopes that they are statistically better than average with respect to each other. They're pinning their hopes that they can find someone else worse than them. Now, I play basketball, and a few of us play basketball here together, and uh, people always look at my height, and I hate the next question. They say, can you dunk? And I certainly can't dunk. I'm way too white uh, that I can't dunk. Uh, but there are people who are shorter than me that can just dunk it really easy because, you know, they've got hops. They've got legs that jump. I don't know what mine, mine do. Mine don't do that. Um, but the reality is, even though we can jump differently, and I certainly can't jump that much, when we measure up against what God requires of it, what he requires as his perfect standing, it's as though he's asking us to jump for the moon. Now, at that point, how does your, does your comparison matter? No. None of us have any hope of getting there. And so your overinflated view of yourself, combine it with uh, seeing others better than, like seeing yourself as better than others, 
that can really give you a false sense of security in respect to God. And I think the warning and danger is clear for us. See, the better you are, the more compassionate, the more sincere, the more spiritual, the more causes you pursue, the more justice you seek on others' behalf, actually might make you in more danger of not finding forgiveness with God, of actually not being justified right with God. And see, his point works out, isn't it? As we reflect on it, you can quite easily do it. You know, the prayers, you know, I thank you that I go to church, all those other people that don't. You know, I read my Bible, all those other people that don't. I pray, all those other people that don't. You put whatever you want in that. I am a loving dad, they're not. I work a hard, honest day, they don't. I care about the environment, they don't. Whatever you put in there, whatever the basis of your comparison game is, according to Jesus, it's not enough. You're thinking on the wrong axes. And, you, and actually, if you're any good at it, it's blinding you to the, the axes that really matters. See, ultimately, according to God, this approach is about trying to jump for the moon. It's a trying to perform for God. And the performance in that way just doesn't work. We play it in all sorts of areas of life and it helps us. Uni, school, uh, you know, how, how get promotions, all that sort of stuff. But in, in relation to God, it just does not work. It didn't work for the Pharisee. And I can assure you, I don't know you, how good you are, uh, your wife or your kids or your family do. And I tell you, they could tell you that it's not going to work for you. Uh, the Pharisee didn't make it. And we're not going to make it. So there, he, he was a self-inflated view of himself. He thinks we're better than we are and we look down on others and we try to perform for God's favour. Uh, it doesn't work in your approach to God. But what did the tax collector get right? Well, the tax collector isn't necessarily just comparing himself with each other. No, he sees himself in light of God and he knows he has no excuse. And so what does he pray? He just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the first thing in your approach to God that Jesus wants. He wants you just to admit the truth. You know what? I'm not okay. I used to own an 80 series Land Cruiser. I loved it. But the problem with it, rust just kept coming up everywhere in it. Uh, initially, I, got, I paid people to cut it out. Uh, and, but then a few years later, it just kept popping up. And so then I'd kept trying to sand it and bog it. Uh, and eventually... It just kept coming up and coming up. There's nothing I could do. You know, sometimes we've got a pro- when we think about ourselves, there's a problem far worse than rust. And the Bible calls it sin. See, not only do we fall short of our own standards and who we want to be, we fall short of who our family needs us to be, and we fall short even more of that, who God wants us to be. We deserve better. My wife and my kids deserve better. And God deserves better. And no matter how hard I try to cover it up, this keeps coming out in my life. Shame, dishonour, pride, self-sufficiency. It's all in my heart. And no matter how hard I try to cover it, it's no point telling my wife that other people aren't as good as I am. It doesn't work, that kind of argument. I'm not married to them. I'm married to you. Uh, we all have a serious heart problem. And that 
the really sad thing is people all over the world know that reality and instead of admitting it, owning it, they pin their hope that they can point to someone that's worse than them. They pin their hope on the reality that they can point that they might be better than average. But friends, if you think that, you have totally missed the point of what Jesus is saying in this story. Our only hope is to give up on performance and comparison game. It's to give up and to say, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what he did. That's the first thing he did. But it wasn't that he just asked for mercy. It's also in that he trusted in Jesus. And I think we can see that in that word, justified, in verse 14 there. That word there is a declaration. It's a legal term. uh, And it's something... Uh, it's, it's passive, uh, so that means that we can't be active in it. it. It happens to us. We don't do it. And so that's what happens to those who throw themselves on mercy, is that God declares them right. It's a declaration given by God. This is the, the work that God does. And we do this as we look to Jesus. So when we say, okay, I'm a, I'm a sinner, I'm not good enough, but I trust Jesus. You know what? I'm not the person I need to be, but I trust Jesus is that person. You know what? I can't justify myself. I can't make myself right before God, but I trust Jesus to make me right with God. So he's not just humble, but he also trusts Jesus, and that is why he is right with God. See, if we really got what he's saying here, I think the question we'd ask is, how is this fair? How can, this, how can this be fair? And the reality is, it's not. It's, it's not fair in the sense that we, if you trust in, God, in Jesus and you throw yourself in his mercy, you don't get what you deserve. Do we want God to be fair at that point? I don't. I don't. See, we either have to stand before God on our own merit, clutching at our comparison game, or pleading for mercy, trusting in Jesus. See, you're here this morning. You've heard Jesus' words. Are you, what are you doing this morning? Are you, are you hopeful, clutching, seeing, pointing out others? Or are you here knowing, oh, I've got no other hope other than to plead mercy and to trust Jesus? Um, my used to try to teach me to sing she gave up long ago before we got married um, and part of that is because she used to laugh at me because I can't really sing in tune I, when I say really I can't sing in tune um, and so what would often happen now as I'm singing a song she would just laugh and call out key change you know <laughs> and uh, you know I've got no idea I've changed the key I think I was singing perfectly in tune uh, now that's kind of comments they're a bit you know, humbling, aren't they? Uh, but I tell you, it's also liberating. I, I know for certain she didn't marry me because I could sing. But it's such a relief to know that. You know, just as a joke, yeah, key change, you're stuffing it up again, you ruined the song. Uh, what but I tell you, it is good to know before God in Jesus that you're not the person. And it is humbling. It is the humble person that can admit that. But I tell you what, that truth is liberating, isn't it? That is a liberating truth because God loves me, not because I perform, not because I measure up, 
but he, he loves me the way I am. Regardless. And in Jesus, he makes us to the people that we want to be. See, this news, I think, is liberating for us if we do trust and throw our lot on God for his mercy because at the heart of the gospel, we don't have to perform, we don't have to compare, uh, but we're given, we're justified, we're given a security, an identity that's outside of us. It's secure and eternal. If you just reflect on that truth, you'll be blown away no longer having to listen to the words of your own judgments, no longer to be shaken by what others think of you. You don't have to impress them. You don't have to need to be liked. You don't have to compare yourself with them, but you can celebrate for the gifts they've got. See, this is a reality for all of us. We don't need to put on the Insta photo, the Insta filter. We don't need to do the thousand shots to get the family Christmas one right with all the kids looking at the picture. There's no fake version that we need with each other. And as a church family, this should radically shape the way we interact with each other, shouldn't it? I don't need to impress you. You know, I don't need to hide truth about me from you. God knows it all. It could just radically shape the way we relate with each other. I mean, if you knew the depth of my heart, like God does, You would know that I'm a wretch sinner that needs forgiveness, that needs to trust in someone else other than myself. But God knows that and he says of me, you're you're mine. My identity is safe and secure in Jesus, which means we can radically live for Jesus, not out of fear but in joy, not trying to earn and compare salvation but because it's given to us. That's the, the wonderful message of this passage. You know, every day you can stand here and know that the final verdict is given. You can know, not guilty, accepted, a child of God, one of them. And I find this good news to be incredibly liberating for how you go through life. Just a simple prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, this man went home justified. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, what a simple yet profound story you've told us. And Father, we pray that we might have a right understanding of who we are. We might have clear eyes to understand our need before you. But Father, we pray that we might have clearer eyes to see the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus who declares, for God who declares us right because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And thank you that you wash away our sin, that you make us right with you and that you'll bring us home to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.